Hello, friends. Good to be with you as we gather in worship uh, together. Uh, one of the things that I deeply miss uh, about Sunday mornings is actually the chance to gather and connect with people after the worship service, uh, to hear your questions, to hear how the service has impacted you. And so we want to create that opportunity in something that we're calling Q&R with a pastor. This will be an opportunity for people to join in live at 1045 after our online service uh, for some conversation and questions around the sermon uh, with a pastor. And so you can learn more about that and join uh, through this link. And so we encourage you to participate in that um, after the service at 1045. But as we continue in worship, I want to pray for our time. Uh, and so let us take a moment to do that. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit to worship you and to recognize that apart from you, we can do no good. And so Lord, we ask in this time that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive from you what you would have for us as we turn to your word. And so speak to us in this time and may the Lord Jesus be seen, understood, and deeply valued in our lives. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Dad, do you have any pathological fears? This was the question my nine-year-old daughter, Jane, asked me just last week. And so apparently, uh, my children in the homeschooling experience at Kappel Academy, they are delving into the depths of human psychology. And so, so my daughter, Jane, asked me that question. I was like, yes, of course, indeed, I have many pathological fears, not the least of which is my fear of snakes. I cannot stand snakes. They terrify me to no end. In fact, a few weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine posted this picture on Facebook uh, informing the world that it is copperhead birthing season. So because of this delightful piece of information, every walk I now go on with my family has been utterly ruined because I'm thinking about snakes every seven and a half seconds. So thank you, internet, for that one. Uh, shortly before the shelter at home ordinance was put in place, one of my dear friends and colleagues, Sarah Nickel, also texted me this picture. Uh, and and, and it's, it's totally true. I am more terrified of a snake that size than the coronavirus. So, so Sarah, thank you, and how dare you. Um, but, but as you're probably laughing at me because of my irrational fears, you know, you know you have your own irrational fears. And, and so it may be clowns, it may be heights, it may be the dark, whatever it may be. But what I would say, encourage you, just in this time, you can pause the service and I'd love for you to share with those that you're with right now, or maybe text a friend or family member, what is something that you are irrationally afraid of? So go ahead and do that, pause the service, and we'll continue on. Now, like I said, we all have fears, and, and that has been no less true in these past few weeks. But my guess is the fears that we have been dealing with are a little bit more intense and overwhelming in these past few moments that we've been in, these past weeks and months. That the fears of, of financial instability, that the fears of food insecurity or loneliness and depression, anxiety, the fear of sickness and even death, these are the fears that, that we cannot cope with. We can deal with clowns, we can deal with snakes and the dark and heights, but it's these fears that are strengthened in this time and also weaken our peace. And, and so as we think about this, I mean, we, we may ask the question like, where is God in the midst of our fears? Sure, God has promised to restore our souls as we heard in Psalm 23 last week, but does God care at all about restoring our peace? And so as we continue on in our sermon series, Restore, we're searching out and finding hope in the midst of the Psalms. 
And what I want to do today is look at Psalm 56, a psalm that has been near and dear to my heart for a long time. And what I want us to do, if there's one thing you take from our time together, I hope it's this. It's that peace is not the absence of fear, but the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of fear, but the presence of God. And it's this idea that I want us to unpack as we turn to Psalm 56, but I want to give some context to this psalm so that we know the kind of the events surrounding it. So it's a psalm by David. David wrote many of the psalms in the book of Psalms, and it's particularly a psalm of lament. Now, lament psalms, which actually make up about a third of all of the psalms, are psalms that are geared towards and deal with the honest cries of the human heart. They deal with emotions of sorrow and anguish, of of grief. They deal with matters of injustice. They are essentially the cries of, of the human heart saying, God, we are unsatisfied with the status quo and we plead with you to intervene. And this is where David finds himself, in a place of sorrow and despair. Now, the circumstances surrounding this psalm are most likely the events recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where we find that David is on the run. He's being hunted by Saul, who wishes him dead. And the situation is so dire for David that he is willing to seek refuge in enemy territory among the Philistines in the region of Gath. This is how serious and how fearful David is that he would find refuge among his enemies. So in this moment, David, as he's penning these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, David is keenly aware that he is in danger. He understands that he has no control. He understands that his well-being is in jeopardy and his unwelcome companion is the uncertainty of what the future holds and that he may die tomorrow. And this is where David finds himself. Now, I think many of us can identify with what David's feeling. We may not have a physical and real personal attacker. We may have that, but we all know this feeling of fear, crippling fear that controls us and anxiety that will not relent all of us can identify with this to some degree. Not just the fear of of actual danger, impending danger, but also the potential threats that we see manifested in our anxiety, that we feel helpless to prevent. Fear is crippling. In their incredibly helpful book, The Cry of the Soul, psychologist Dr. Dan Allender and theologian Dr. Tremper Longman III, so I mean, you have to be a theologian with that name, But they describe fear in this way. Fear isn't only the terror we feel at the announcement of life-threatening news or the threat of physical pain or harm. It's no less than that. It is also the everyday uncertainty that gnaws at us. Isn't that so true? Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. When we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us, And get this, our our lives are a spectacle of helplessness. If there was ever a phrase that summed up the human experience, that is absolutely it. I think David would agree with these words. I think many of you are saying amen to what I've just read. But my guess is you're also saying like, hey, Reed, like we get the fear part. Like we don't need to learn about fear. That comes naturally. That's built in. When are you going to get to the place of talking about how God restores our peace? And I'm glad you asked that because that's where we turn now. And so how do we find this elusive peace? This peace that is in short supply along with toilet paper and home gym equipment. Where do we find peace in our world? And the first thing I want us to look at as we turn to Psalm 56 is that peace is found when our fears are named. Peace is found when our fears are named. 
There's great power in explicitly naming and labeling the fears and the emotions that we feel. In fact, Pastor Bill mentioned this last week that we name emotions in order to tame emotions. There is a power that comes with that when we are honest with ourselves and most importantly, when we are honest with God about the emotional state of our hearts. When we are honest, that is where peace begins to form. And David does precisely this as we see this Psalm open up. But notice in verses one and two, David doesn't waste time getting at the thing that is getting at him. He just kind of opens right up in verses one and two. Look with me here. In in Psalm 56, one and two, we read these words. Be gracious to me, O God, for a man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long for many attack me proudly. Now, by David jumping right in and and bearing before God what is in his heart, we're learning something profound about how David relates to God. You see, David doesn't have to warm God up to get God to a place where he's ready and able to hear and respond or receive what David is about to share with him. David just lays it out before him. And so David's ability to do so says something about the depth of the relational connection that David has with God. You could sum it up this way. Raw honesty implies real intimacy. That's what we see in David as he is just beginning the psalm of lament, bearing his heart to God. Now th- think about it this way. The way in which I share uh, my terrible, no good, very bad day with my wife is going to look very different in how I share that same bad day with my neighbor. You see, with my neighbor, I'm going to exchange a few pleasantries. We're going to have some small talk. And then if I'm comfortable, I'll offer a simplified and sanitized version of my bad day. But with Megan, I need not warm her up to this. I don't need to ease into it. I just come home. I plop down on the couch. I'm like, I had a terrible day. My coworkers were just throwing snakes at me all day. It was terrible, whatever it is. I don't need to warm her up. I just open up with what is in me. Because with our loved ones, we we have the depth of relationship right there. But with our neighbors, we don't have that. In the same way, David is showing the relational connection and depth he has with God. He essentially plops down on God's couch, so to speak, and bears his heart before God because of the depth of relationship that is there. This is what David does. And this is what we are called and compelled to do with our prayers. And this is the beginning of finding peace. Now in the Psalm, we get a little bit more insight into what's going on in David's heart. Notice the the threefold repetition in verses one and two and verse five of the phrase all day long. Did you notice that when the scripture was read? This phrase all day long is communicating how David's attackers, they're constant, they're relentless. They don't ease up. They are after him. There's no place to hide. David feels like he is constantly in pursuit. And this is so often how fear and anxiety can feel in our lives. Many of you know that very viscerally. You know how fear and anxiety can feel like a relentless attacker that never lets go. This bulldog, this this tenacious pit bull that just latches on, an enemy that won't stop and an enemy you can't hide from. But then in verse five, we get even more detail. Notice this, this phrasing in verse five, we read these words, all day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Now that phrase in verse five, they injure my cause, it can also be translated as they have tarnished my reputation. So David's attackers, they are well acquainted with him. They know who he is, they know his wounds and they know how to get at him specifically. And again, this is how fear and anxiety can work in our lives. 
It can ruin your reputation. Perhaps if you struggle with anxiety, you've been in that situation where someone has kind of basically written you off as just a person who is weak or perhaps even faithless. If you would just believe in God more, you wouldn't struggle with anxiety. Our, our fears and anxieties can thwart our plans. They can lead us to make the decisions that, that cause us harm. It can put us in harm's way. And this is where David is in his fears and anxieties. And I know this is where many of you are, where many of you have been, and perhaps where many of you will be. But the only thing, and I think you would agree with me, the only thing that's worse than being in a place of great fear and crippling anxiety is being there alone, is having no one else to understand or see you in your pain. If we want peace to be restored in our lives, then we must learn how to be honest before God with what is within us to be honest with our fears in God's presence. And I, I get it. I understand that that may be incredibly intimidating, incredibly uncomfortable for many of us because it requires us being vulnerable with our emotions and with our feelings. Sharing our fears causes us to be even more fearful at times. But here's the thing, friends. The reason why we can be honest before God with our fears is the second thing I want us to see in this Psalm is because God sees our tears. Peace is found, yes, when our fears are named, but also when our tears are seen. And we turn to verse eight, and I I, I think I can say without exaggeration or equivocation that that Psalm 56 verse eight is one of the most powerful Psalms in, in my life and has brought great comfort to me. And it's there that I want us to turn. So what it lacks in, in length, it makes up for in depth. And verse eight, we read these words. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, Are they not in your book? And so what we see here, God God is the one who keeps count of our tossings and our tears. He keeps count of our our worries and our wailings. He keeps count of our our fears and our failures. And, And hear me, he counts them not to count them against us. He counts them so that we might be comforted by his intimate knowledge of us of every pain we have gone through, of every tear we have shed. And, and that word tossings, it can also be translated as the word wanderings, which, it, which is actually more accurate of what David is experiencing as he's wandering in enemy territory, seeking refuge. David is referring, or the, the Psalm is referring to his wanderings in dangerous places. But the primary meaning, what, what God is trying to communicate through David's pen here is that God is well acquainted with our trials and our tragedies. He knows our pains. He knows what keeps us up at night. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows the things that cripple us in fear and anxiety. And not just because God is omniscient, all-knowing, but it's because God is also omni-empathetic. And yes, that's a word I just made up because it communicates the idea that God doesn't just know everything about us, but he feels everything we feel, yet without sin. He knows our pains and he knows them very well. And and there's something about, I think you would agree as well, that there's something about our fears and our pains being seen by others that somehow weakens the pain. It somehow diminishes it when it's seen and understood by someone else. My son, Edmund, he bites his tongue all the time. It it is a painful experience. You kids, I'm sure you can identify. It's the worst. You're just like, I'm never going to eat food again. It's so painful. And one of the things I try to do to comfort him in those moments is, I, I try to bite my tongue. I say, Eddie, do you want, do you want dad to bite his tongue? He's like, yeah. And so <clears throat> I like bite my tongue and it makes him laugh. But more than that, in that moment, 
Edmund is comforted because he understands that I understand him and his pain. Or you could say it this way, in this moment, Edmund is feeling felt by me as I'm sharing in his pain. And this is precisely, friends, this is precisely what God is showing us in this Psalm, that by collecting our tears in his bottle, he is saying, I know your pain. I understand it and I see it. You are not alone. This is the comfort and the peace we find. And it may sound really strange to hear that God collects our tears in a bottle. I mean, it sounds like the behavior of a sociopath, right? Like, like if somebody came up to me and said, Reed, I've been collecting your tears ever since you were born in this bottle. And I'd like to share with you about it. Like I would notify every authority on planet earth to keep this person as far away from me as possible. But the fact that it's God who keeps our tears in his bottle Well, it's not a threat. It's not something that is awkward. It is actually a comfort. It is a balm to our weary and wounded soul. It reveals to us that God has clearly seen us, that in our pain, in our our darkest, lowest moments, we were never alone. And God sees us and understands us. Because you see, we only hold on to things that are important. You know, if we hoard things or keep things in our home, it's because we think it's important. We don't hold on to things that are insignificant. The fact that God holds on to our tears communicates that, that our pains, our tears are important to him. Uh, th- this is uh, something that my family does. This is called our, our year in a box. And on, on January 1st, on New Year's Day, my family, we decorate a, a shoe box. And then throughout the year, we place items inside uh, to commemorate uh, certain moments or memories that we want to remember. And then on the next New Year's Day, we open up the box and go through it, and we're always surprised at things that we forgot about. But the only thing that goes in here are things that are important to us because we want to remember them. In the same way as we think about God holding our tears in his bottle, it's a way of him saying, I want to remember your pain so that you know I understand what you have gone through. I want you to feel felt in your sorrow. You see, God's intimate knowledge of David's tears and fears is what brings about his peace. Peace comes not when our fears are removed, but when the presence of God is greater than our fears. Or to put it another way, and this leads to this third point, peace is found when our God is for us. Peace is found when our God is for us. In verses three and four, we see this kind of inner dialogue that David is having with himself. And in this moment, he's speaking to himself during a time of fear and he admits to being afraid and yet he still chooses to trust God. Look at verses three and four. When I am afraid, not just if, but when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David later repeats this refrain in verses 10 and 11, but with even greater conviction. And he does so precisely because of what he declares in verse nine. Look with me there. Verse nine declares, then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call this, I know that God is for me. You almost get this sense that David is like taunting his attackers. Like, what do you got on me? You've got nothing because I have God who is for me in this time. As David grows in his intimate knowledge and understanding of the power and the presence of the God who is for him, he sees his fears and anxieties in a different light. They are not removed from him. Keep that in mind. As as David is looking at his fears, fully aware of them, he is looking at God at the same time. As he sees his fears, he sees the God who is for him and it reframes his fears. 
Let me illustrate it this way. I think we would all agree, even if you've never taken a geography or astronomy class, that the planet Earth is large. It's a large place, right? And its actual size is really kind of incomprehensible, as you see it kind of matched up to the other planets in our solar system. Earth is relatively small in comparison. But especially when you see the Earth compared to the sun in our solar system. And as you look at all these different planets, yeah, now, like Earth is barely recognizable. But when matched up to the sun, you can't even comprehend how minuscule the Earth is in comparison. And the sun itself is considered a medium-sized star. Now, the reason I share this is to not just show you how I've been spending my time on YouTube during quarantine, but to show that our fears, which are indeed great, and I don't want to minimize them, they are incomparable when compared to the power and the presence of our God who is for us. When God is seen, when God is known, when God is delighted in, feared and revered above all things, then our fears and anxieties don't stand a chance. Again, I'm not making light of them. But when we understand the power and the presence of the God who is for us, our fears are not removed. Hear me, friends. Our fears are not removed, but they are reframed in light of who God is. Again, peace is not the absence of fear, but it is the presence of God. Peace is found when our fears are named, when our tears are seen, and when our God is for us. Amen? I'm assuming you're saying amen in your homes when I say that, but, but, but as, as, as we kind of wrap this up, I want us to think about this. All of these truths that we've been exploring in Psalm 56, they all come together, they are brought together into one whom David was actually waiting for. All of these truths are actually brought together in the one in whom David was the precursor for. You see, the reason we know all of this to be true is because the presence of God entered our world as the Prince of Peace, to be the victor over every threat, every danger, every fear that stands before us and threatens to destroy us. The reason we know that our fears and anxieties will not and indeed cannot have the final word is because Jesus has entered our world and faced our greatest fears of sin, of separation and death, and he has decisively conquered them through his cross and through his resurrection. That is where we find our hope in this peace being restored within us. Jesus is the savior who is greater than our fears. Jesus is the savior who shares in our tears. And Jesus is the savior who has come not to give us some garden variety peace, he has come to bring us the peace of God. In fact, he has come to be our peace himself to the point that we are able to declare with David as he proclaims in verse 11, in God, I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? This peace is made possible through Christ who came to restore our peace by restoring our relationship to God. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks of this peace through Jesus Christ. In, in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, we read these words, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? When this is our peace, when we understand that we have, not just been we have not just received peace, but we have received the Prince of Peace, and we now have peace with God, our fears and anxieties, again, they are not removed, but they are reframed. And so friends, in light of this truth, I want to call us to respond to this reality of peace in two ways, two very simple ways, but very profound ways. 
And the first is this. I want us to pray to the God who hears. Pray to the God who hears. And here's the thing. One of the barriers to to prayer for you, it may be that you have felt like my faith isn't strong enough to pray. There's no way I could concoct a prayer powerful enough, beautiful enough, well-worded enough to even get to God. Or I don't feel good enough or moral enough or religious enough to even get to that place. And friend, I have good news for you and for me about that is that the power of prayer is not found in she or he who prays, but in the one who hears those prayers. That is where the power of prayer is found, not in the one who prays, but in the one who hears it. Eugene Peterson so beautifully says this in his book, Answering God. He says, we can doubt the value, power, and sincerity of our own asking, but not God's hearing. Amen? That is good news. With a deep awareness that the God who speaks life into us also listens when we speak, We assemble our fears and hopes, apprehensions and anticipations and place them on the altar as an offering. That is what compels us to pray. Not because we have something to say, but because we have a God who has something to hear and and respond and invite us into. And so let us be a people who pray our, our, our tears and our fears to the God who hears. And so this week, let your fears direct your prayers. Let them be what guides you. Instead of being a barrier to your prayers, may it be what guides you in your prayer life. Don't pray what ought to be in you, but pray what is in you, knowing that God hears us. And as Gabe mentioned in the welcome, uh, we're actually gonna have an opportunity as a a whole church to do this on Thursday, May 7th. We're setting aside a day of, of fasting and prayer together. And so we encourage you to participate in that day. But lastly, we need to be a people who pray to the God who hears, but also praise the God who sees. One of the greatest ways for us to be awakened to God's presence is to sing God's praise. You see, we are deeply aware of that which deeply moves us. We are so deeply aware of that which deeply moves us. And so if we want to find peace with God in his presence, then we need to be a people who praise God, who sing his excellencies. And I wanna invite us to do that. And so friends, let's, let's do that now. I mean, even, even in the midst of our fears, I'm, I'm not asking us to set them aside, but in the midst of our fears and our anxieties, let us declare together with one voice, with one heart, the truth that our one true God hears us, sees us, knows us, and has come to be with us forever to restore our peace. Let us sing together, amen? Let's do it.